Morning. Okay, we are going to continue in the book of 1 Kings. We're still in our King series. Um, today the title of the message is Your Own Worst Enemy. Uh, and it, I know everybody here knows that person, or maybe related to that person. And you just keep thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, will they ever get out of their own way? You know what I mean? Well, today that's kind of what we're going to look at. And I'm going to recap more than I normally do to set this up. But as I said, we're still in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, and last week we covered Israel being split into two kingdoms. Okay, now the two kingdoms were the northern and the southern kingdoms, and the northern kingdom uh, was called Israel, and the southern was called Judah. Now the king of Judah was Rehoboam, and the king of Israel was Jeroboam. You'd think they would be related with the Boams, wouldn't you? But they're not. But um, that was the names of the kings. Now the kingdom was divided because Rehoboam rejected God uh, and worshipped idols, and so he allowed that kingdom to be split. We'll look more at that here in a minute, but... Uh, last week we looked in depth at Jeroboam, and he was a godless king uh, who, of, the, of Israel, of the other ten tribes. And uh, despite several warnings from God, I mean, he just continued to reject him. He just wouldn't learn. And so as a result, he died shamed, and his entire lineage was wiped out. Now, today we're going to look at Rehoboam, okay? And, and this is Solomon's uh, son, okay? This is Solomon's son, and he was the king of Judah, now, as I said last week, Rehoboam was a spoiled, rotten little brat kid, and he grew up to be a spoiled, rotten jerk of an adult. I mean, normally don't hear people saying that about Bible people unless it's true, and here it's true. He was just a spoiled, rotten kid, right? But because he was Solomon's son, he was next in line to be king, and he did become king after Solomon uh, and king of all of Israel at that time, right? Now, sadly, his example as a king, as a godly king, was Solomon, and Solomon was not a good example as a godly king. Now, he started off following God, but during his reign, he kind of drifted away from his faith, right? He actually drifted a lot away from his faith. I mean, the guy married 700 women. That would steal anybody's faith, but 700 women he married, okay? And he allowed his wives to continue to worship idol gods. He even built them places called the high places uh, that he built for them to worship these idol gods. So he's building temples and high places for them to worship. And even worse than that, he personally started worshiping idol gods with them. Okay? So he actually was kind of turning from a godly king into a pagan king. He really was. And, and like most pagan kings, he even started treating his people, Israel, like slaves. Okay? I mean, he used the Israelites as forced labor to build his empire. Now, he didn't have to do that to succeed. Why? Because God had already promised his father David that he was going to bless Solomon greatly, and Solomon knew that, right? I mean, God personally promised Solomon that he was going to give him wisdom, and he was going to give him wealth, and he was going to give him power, and he was going to give him success no matter what. Right? But despite all that God had done for Solomon, he still drifted away from God. Right? He also couldn't get out of his own way. Right? He was also kind of his worst enemy. Now, in the end of his life, Solomon did renew his faith, but he had a lot of regrets. And you can read a lot of those regrets if you read the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, that catches us up to where Rehoboam is taking his place as king. Now, the people of Israel saw this new king. And remember, they had been under... This, this harsh dictatorship that Solomon had set up, and they were forced to be in labor. And so the first thing they did was come and say, hey, 
now that you're the king, maybe you could lighten some of our burdens. Maybe you could ease up a little bit on the forced labor. And because, you know, he probably never had to make decisions, he says, well, give me some time and let me seek some advice. So the first people he goes to was Solomon's advisors. Now, they were wise and they were experienced, and, and he goes to them for some advice about this. And they said, you know what, maybe you should lighten the burden. Because you're just starting off as a king. Maybe, I mean, maybe you want everybody to like you a little bit. Because they were starting to not like your dad so much. Maybe you should lighten the burden a little bit on him. But then he looks at them and just totally rejects their wisdom. And then he does the dumbest thing he could possibly do. And we see our kids doing it. He sought the advice of the friends that he grew up with instead. Okay? Your kids ever do that? You'll tell them something from life experience. And they're like, ah, I think I'll ask my 14-year-old friend. Because, you know, they've had so much life to learn so much. Right? So he decides to go to his friends. But here's the thing. All of his friends had mooched off of him since he was a kid. They had mooched off of his wealth. I mean, he was the king's son, right? So they all had something to gain from him. So his friends are going to tell him whatever he wants to hear, anything that makes him feel good, because they didn't want the meal train to stop. So he goes to them, and they said, listen, don't decrease the labor force. That'll make you look weak. They said, you know what you should do? You should increase the forced labor. Increase it. That way they think that you're even more powerful and more authoritative than your father Solomon. So Rehoboam, because he can't get out of his own way, and he's his worst enemy, he listens to that advice, and he comes back and says, you think you had it bad with my dad. Wait till you see what I'm going to do to you. Wait till you see the labor, the load, the burden that I'm going to put on you. So he increases the forced labor and continues to worship idol gods. Okay? So because of his idolatry and because of his bad decisions, because he can't learn from anything like what happened in his father's life, God said, okay, I'm going to have to bring discipline on you to get your attention. So because he took this bad advice, not only was he going to have God's discipline in his life, but many people just rejected him as king. They're like, you know what? We're sick of this. We're tired of this. Go be your own king. We're going to go find another one. We do not want to be your king. So this is how the kingdom got divided into two parts. So taking bad advice from his friends actually led to his kingdom being divided in two. Now, so Rehoboam here is just a prime example of how to be your own worst enemy. Okay, because all he thought about was himself. He just wanted to be looked up to and glorified. And everywhere, everything he did, every piece of advice he took was about him. And he just was his own worst enemy. So today we're going to try to learn how to avoid being like him or being your own worst enemy. So let's jump right in. 1 Kings 14, 21. It says, now Rehoboam, I feel like I'm saying his name all the time. Should we call him Ray Ray? I'm just thinking about that. But anyway, now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. Is it just me or is 41 years old seem kind of old to be running to your friends for advice? You know what I mean? But he's 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama the Ammonitess. Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, that was his kingdom, and they provoked him, talking about God, to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins which they committed. Okay, for they also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and ashram. High places were just places up on hills where you worship so that you, they felt like it made them closer to their idol gods. Right, and, and it says that they built sacred pillars and ashram. Those were like poles that they used with inscriptions on them to help them worship different idol gods. Okay, uh, On every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. 
there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. I'm going to leave that alone. I have nothing else to say about that. <laughs> they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So now, one more time, Israel was divided. They were in this condition because Rehoboam was unfaithful to God. I mean, he only remained king of Judah. The only reason God allowed him to remain king was because he made a promise to David that he would always have someone on the throne. That's the only reason he was still allowed to be king. But despite God still allowing him to be king, right, he could have taken the whole thing from him. He still allowed him to have two tribes, right? Basically, it was about half. He still allowed him to be king of that. Despite all that, he was still unfaithful to God. He just wouldn't learn his lesson. And he led Judah into blatant idolatry, and I mean just depraved sexual immorality like you have never seen. It made Vegas look like kindergarten. Okay, I mean, it was a bad, bad place to be, right? So Judah was full of idol gods and full of high places and places for them to worship. It was just a train wreck. And no matter what God did to try to get his attention, no matter how many times God brought discipline on him, he continued to reject him. So the only thing that being the son of Solomon left him with was two distinct traits that everybody knew about. Okay, first of all, he was a spoiled brat as a kid, and everybody knew that. And now he was a selfish, spoiled ruler as king. That's all his dad had left him with, right? He was just a jerk. And you would think after God took half his kingdom, he would have changed, but, but not Rehoboam, because like most spoiled kids, he was raised to be entitled. He probably felt like, well, of course he's going to leave me king. I'm, I should be. I am Solomon's son. You ever met that kid that just feels like they deserve everything? Maybe it's your kid. Maybe you've met them very closely. You know what I mean? But they just feel like they deserve everything. They're never thankful for anything. This is kind of who he was. He was just... He was entitled. He's like, well, of course, obviously I'm still king because I'm Solomon's son. I'm entitled. I deserve it. See, I highly doubt that Solomon ever told Rehoboam no. I highly doubt he ever disciplined him whatsoever. Right? Because Solomon made the same mistake that a lot of parents still make today. Whenever you preach this, you make people mad. And so be it. I'm not mad about that. It doesn't bother me. But it's still true. A lot of parents make this same mistake today because they try to be their kid's friend instead of being their parent, right? Now, stick with me. I know what you're thinking. All the moms are going, well, you should be your kid's friend. Shut it. I'll explain, okay? Here's what I'm talking about. You have the rest of their life to be their friends, right? From when they move out till when they have kids to when they get old till you die, you can be their friend. But when they are in your home, they need you to be their parent and their life trainer so that you can teach them to stay out of their own way so that you can teach them not to be their own worst enemy while they're under your control you should be a parent and life trainer and solomon just wasn't that our job is to teach them to love god well solomon failed there didn't he our job was to teach our kids to love god to teach them a difference between right and wrong and to teach them how to treat people solomon never did that and unfortunately a lot of parents don't do that now and if you don't teach your kids those things if you're not dedicated to being a parent more than their friend if you don't teach them right from wrong if you don't teach them how to treat people kindly, if you don't teach them to love God, you're probably going to raise a kid that no one wants to be their friend. Right? That's just who you're going to raise. Listen, if they don't respect mom and dad, they're not going to respect the police. They're not gonna, I think we're seeing that now. What do you think? Right? They're not going to respect the government. They're not going to... It's just you are raising someone who is going to be their own what? 
worst enemy. That's, you're raising them to be that, and that's what Solomon did. And I don't think you realize this, but that's why God tells us that not disciplining your kids or teaching them the difference between right and wrong, teaching them that there's consequences, is an act of hate. Did you know that? The Bible says it's an act of hate. Proverbs 13, 24. It says, those who spare the rod of discipline, what? Hate their children. Right? Those who love their children care enough to what? Care enough to discipline them. Right? Because listen, yeah, it stinks disciplining your kids. If you're that person that goes, boy, I can't wait to whip my kids. Something's wrong. Right? You need help. Kevin's in the front row going, then I need help. Right? But I'm just saying, that's not, it, it stinks to have to discipline your kids. But either you teach them or the world will teach them. And you'll be kinder about it. See, Rehoboam missed out on all of this because Solomon's lack of parenting left Israel under the control of someone who couldn't get out of their own way, of someone who was their own worst enemy, of someone who was basically a selfish, conceited jerk. Okay? Now, here's our number one example of how to avoid being your own worst enemy. Okay, everyone makes mistakes, but wise people learn from those mistakes. I don't see any evidence that Rehoboam was learning from any of his mistakes. Do you? I don't see anything here that says that he was learning from them. Right? He kept doing the same things over and over. God would discipline him, took half his kingdom. What's he do? He worships more idol gods. God would bring dissension among his people. What does he do? He worships idol gods. He just kept doing the same things over and over, was never learning. You know, I once heard the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Anybody ever heard that? It's true. And this is what he was doing. He just kept doing the same thing over and over. He wasn't learning from his mistakes. He was his own worst enemy. First, because he, he never learned from mistakes. And second, because he never learned to take good advice. Right? You would think after you went to somebody and their advice split your kingdom in two that you'd think, eh, I don't think I'm going to listen to their advice anymore. Those people became his advisors because their first attempt was so successful. He just couldn't get out of his own way, right? I mean, despite God's warnings and discipline, he just kept doing the same things. Now, I always like to relate this to us, because a lot of times it's so easy to look at someone in the Bible and go, oh, that guy's so stupid. You know, and Pastor Chris is calling him a jerk, so he must be a jerk, you know, unlike us who never do anything wrong. Right, but listen, how many times has God given us a second chance after we screwed up? How many people in here know they've had a second chance from God in their life? I know I have, right? He gives us second chance. He gives us third chances. Aren't you glad we only don't get second chances and that's it? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'd be in trouble, right? But despite the fact that God gives us second chances, how many times do we quickly forget God's grace and quickly forget the mercy that he's shown us and start screwing up again? It happens, doesn't it? We just start screwing up again. Then when it goes bad again, we act surprised and get mad at God. I'm like, what made you think that since God didn't like it last time and things didn't go well, that all of a sudden God's going to go, oh, that was March. Now it's April. I'm good with it. You know what I mean? It, listen, he's not going to change. Here's a newsflash. God is never going to change. You're going to have to if you want to be right with God. He's not going to change and say, okay, I'll change my ways so that I'm right with you. God's not going to do that. He's going to continue to not bless you until you do things his way, 
right? And by refusing to learn from our mistakes, we become just like Rehoboam. We become our own worst enemy. We actually kind of act like spoiled brats because we're actually taking advantage of God's grace. Did you ever think about it like that? When you continually do what you know God doesn't want you to do and you reap, you know, the consequences of that, when you do it again, you're actually taking advantage of God's grace. I mean, when we read about Rehoboam, we think, why did he keep ignoring God? What an idiot. But think about it. How many different times can you think of that we've ignored something we know God doesn't like in our life, and we don't get rid of it? Or something we know God wants us to do, and we don't do it, right? And, and, and despite all his grace and forgiveness, we just keep giving in to our sin time and time again. And listen, before you get offended and before people say, oh, I don't give in to my sin, you know, people actually say that. I don't just joke about that. I had a guy come up to me after church one time. I hope he doesn't come and hear this today because I'm not going to change it. You know, because I do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. No, but anyway, um, he comes up to me after church and he goes, you know, I didn't like it when you preached and said that we all sin. I said, oh, really? I said, why is that? He goes, because I know for a fact that I have been sinless for three months. <laughs> he told me that. Dead straight. I like laughed and looked at him and there was no laughter other than mine. And I told him, I said, well, you send your first time today then. <laughs> and he said, why is that? I said, because you are lying. You have sinned in the last three months. I promise you, you have sinned. So when I say this, I, I might offend you. Get over it. I'm not going to change it, right? But before you get all self-righteous and think, I don't do that, let me give you some examples of some things that are sin that we probably do over and over, okay? Maybe not you guys, right? But other people, right? We hold grudges. Anybody here hold grudges? You don't have to raise your hand, right? We gossip. No one here gossips, do they? Nobody here gossips. Nobody wants to hear a juicy story. Who does that? Right? We gossip. That's a big one. We seek revenge. I, I, I wish I could say I never thought about revenge. I wish I could say I'm your pastor and I have been sinless for four months. But I haven't been sinless for four minutes. And here's the truth of the matter. When someone makes me mad, I can't help but think, oh, I want to see them get theirs. Don't you? I have to pray about it. And I'm not saying I seek it, but does the thought cross my mind? Yes. And I think of some of the greatest ways to get them back. I don't do it, but I think about it. We seek revenge. We judge others. You ever find yourself judging other people? Listen, you know why people don't like Christians? Because we're too stinking judgmental. That's why I say I don't like churchy people. Churchy people never look in the mirror. They're always looking out the window and judging their neighbor. Right? We judge other people. These are all things that God has blatantly told us in Scripture not to do. I know He's convicted your hearts about it when you do it, and yet we do it again and again and again. I've even heard of people judging and gossiping about people secondhand. They weren't even there. I've met with people and they say, I can't help it. I just can't get over it. I don't like this guy. I'm like, what do he do to you? Nothing. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Well, I know what he did to my friend. I'm like, were you there? No. You sure your friend didn't start it? Oh, I know. You know what I mean? Never even hearing both sides of the story, and yet we still gossip and judge people. Here's another one I know none of you guys probably do that, you know, God's told us not to do over and over and over again. But uh, allow anger or bitterness or jealousy to control you. Anybody struggle with any of those? Now listen, the Bible blatantly says do not do those things. Yet, we still do them. 
Sometimes I've seen people get so angry and so bitter and so jealous and so out of control with rage that it even pulls them out of church. For some reason, if someone in the church does something, it's like they blame the whole body, like now all of us are poison. Oh, I can't believe that lady comes to our church. I don't like her. I'm not going to church anymore because I still hold a grudge against her and I love my sin. So they stop coming to church. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Let that cancer eat at you instead of coming to the place where you can, you know, hear God's word. And and I've seen those emotions pull people even away from God, right? I've seen people who will not give to or serve God like they should, and yet they still expect a blessing, right? Listen, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, it is insanity. But a lot of times I think what happens with people, and I think the reason we're our, our own worst enemy, is I think a lot of times we often mistake God's patience with us as God's approval with us. What do you think? People say things like, well, God hasn't struck me dead yet, so evidently I must be good. Right? I'm like, you know you need to get that out of your life. Well, I haven't lost my home. My health is still good. My kids are healthy. Evidently, I'm like, yeah, that's because God is patient. God doesn't go, oh, you sinned. Poof, Kevin, all your hair's gone. Now you'll learn. Right? Which I would like to see. I experience it. I might as well see it. Right? Listen. I literally think people do that. They mistake God's patience as God's approval, and that's why they can't just seem to get out of their own way and become their worst enemy. Listen, when God convicts you of sin, if you make more excuses than changes, something's wrong. Right? You are still being your own worst enemy. We need to listen to our hearts when God is warning us about sin. And do you know what I mean? You know when you're about to do something and you just know? There's not a deacon that shows up to your door and says, yeah, the Lord told me to tell you that. That's not, that's not how it works. You know, you just know right here you shouldn't be doing it. You guys know what I'm talking about, Christians? You know, what I'm, you know what I mean? The Holy Spirit that lives in you is saying, man, you're your worst enemy. Stop it. But yet we don't. Listen, when God starts to convict you about sin, when he starts warning you about sin, listen, if you ignore, if you ignore it, you're just like Rehoboam. You're your own worst enemy. You're just like him. Okay, now moving on. Rehoboam was about to find out that there are limits to God's patience. There are limits. And we're going to find that out. Let's take a look at this. Proverbs 124 through 31. I could have done this in one verse, but I just wanted to grind it in because that's how I am. Verse 24 says, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. This is God. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also what? Laugh at your calamity. Do you ever think God would say that? He's saying time and time and time and time again, I said, stop it. I have told you, I have sent people to tell you, I have sent sermons, I have sent books. You have read, you have listened, you have been around people who have told you not to do this, and you continually spurn my reproof, and you continually take advantage of my grace. You continually, continually mistake my patience for my approval. You know it's wrong, you do it anyway, you can't get out of your own way. You are your own worst enemy, and because you do that, the next time you come to me about that problem, I'm going to laugh at you. You know why I'm going to laugh at you? Because you don't want to hear what I have to say. That's what he's saying here. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock you. Did you hear that? I will mock you. That's God going, you know what I mean? I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me have you ever gotten so far away from God that when you pray it feels like it bounces off the rafters if you've been there and I have you know what this is talking about this is God saying oh no 
I'll get your attention. I'll get your, I'll get your attention. Verse 29. It says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. Whew, that's pretty tough, isn't it? So Rehoboam is, was about to find out here that actions have consequences, something evidently Solomon never taught him. So let's take a look at this. 1 Kings 14, 25. It says, Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, should we call him Shaq? Hmm. You were dominated by Shaq. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anyway, now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took everything, even all the shields of gold. That's going to be important. Even, taking all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made shields of bronze. Uh, in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Then it happened as often as the king entered the house of the Lord that he that the guards would carry them the shields and would bring them back into the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually and Rehoboam slept with his fathers that many died and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Nama the Ammonitess, and Abijam, his son, became king in his place. Now, let's take a look at the book of Second Chronicles, because it referenced it, and it does tell the story in a little bit different light. Second Chronicles 12, 1, 4, uh, 1 through 4 says, uh, When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, and he, did, or, uh, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. And it came about that in King Rehoboam's fifth year, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Now, that's very important. All this is going to happen because... They had been what? Unfaithful. Unfaithful to the Lord. So God didn't, wasn't picking on him. He continually wasn't listening. This happened because he wouldn't listen. Okay? That Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 12, now think about this, 1,200 chariots, 1,200 chariots, and 60,000 horsemen. And the people who came with him from Egypt were without number. The Libim and the Sukkim and the Ethiopians. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Okay, so after five years, God said, enough. Enough. I have sent you warning after warning. I have sent you prophets. I've sent you prophecy. You keep ignoring me. And sometimes God will use bad people to do good things. Right? And here's one of those cases. Egypt was full of pagans. I mean, they were a terrible, godless nation. But he said, you know what? Let me, let me show you what it feels like. Let me show you what it feels like to have someone totally disrespect you and take all that you have. So after five years, the Egyptians attack and raid Judah as far as Jerusalem. Right? So listen, the Egyptians had this huge, well-armed, well-trained military force, the greatest of that era. And so many of them came up against it. You heard all the 60,000 and all. Listen. The, the, the writer of First Chronicles says that, that they were innumerable. Can you imagine looking out from your kingdom and seeing a sea of people? How many people watch Lord of the Rings? Oh, come on, man. Seriously? So us five nerds know what I'm talking about. Anyway, 
when they look out and they see just walls, I mean, just over the walls, just seas of people. This is what he probably saw. He's all full of himself, right? He's always getting in his own way. He's his worst enemy. He thinks he's untouchable. He thinks that God's patience is the same thing as God's approval. He looks out the window and seas of people, as far as the eye can see, people, horsemen, chariots, all around him, innumerable. And they were led by Shaq here, right? And they attacked and took Judah's territory and took their treasure, took their treasures. They even stole the gold shields that Solomon made for his guards, right? Now, that's going to be important. So then God sent a prophet named Shimei uh, to relate a message of judgment. There's a Bible name for you. Name your son Shimei, and he will be the toughest kid in the third grade, I promise you. Second Chronicles 12.5 says, Then Shimei the prophet came to Rehoboam and the princes of Judah who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, so I also have what? Have forsaken you to Shishak. So basically he's saying, Hey, you want to be a pagan? You want to be an idolater? Well, I might as well let one come in and show you how it's done. Right? That's basically what he was saying. So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. Okay, think about that for a second. They humbled themselves. Verse 6, So the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimei, saying, They have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by means of Shishak. Uh, but they will become his slaves, so that they may learn the difference between my service and the service of the kingdom of the countries kingdoms of the countries okay now remember last week i said that if we'll humble ourselves god will forgive us if you are willing to admit you're wrong and he's right no matter what the judgment god can wipe that away and he can forget well here's a prime example of that because for a brief moment we're going to see it's very brief but for a brief moment here rehoboam is humbled and he says you know what you are the god of all creation you are. He humbled himself just for that moment, right? See, sometimes there are things in our lives that we value more than God. And I'm not just talking to people who are not, you know, followers of Christ. I'm talking to followers of Christ. There are sometimes believers that, that we have things that we value more than God. And what happens is, Time and time again, he tries to impress upon your heart that he needs to be the number one thing in your life, and you continually put him off and put him off and put him off. So sometimes God has to remove the idols from your life so that he can reach you. We look at it as, we look at it as a punishment. God says, listen, that stuff's worthless. When my son comes to take you back, he's not going to look at your bank accounts. He's not going to wonder how good you are at golf or how many deer you've killed. When he comes back, you know what's going to matter? Have you believed, first and foremost, and second of all, your reward will be based on how much you've served me. So sometimes God has to remove the idols from our lives to reach us. Right now, notice that he didn't pull all of his judgment back. Because if he would have pulled all of his judgment back, do you think Rehoboam would have repented? No, he just said, that's what I deserve. I am Rehoboam, son of Solomon. I deserve his mercy. That's what he would have done. So God said, I, I can't pull it all back. Second Chronicles 12, 9. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures uh, of the king's palace. He took everything, even the golden shields which Solomon had made. 
Then King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the door of the king's house. And as often as the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards came and carried them and then brought them back into the guards room. And he humbled himself. And when he humbled himself, the anger of the Lord turned away from him so as not to destroy him, what? Completely. And also, conditions were good in Judah. Okay, so God said, listen, you still have to suffer a little bit here. So the Egyptians still basically robbed them blind, took everything. I mean, the gold, the jewels, all the precious things from the house of God, took all the resources, even took the golden shields that Solomon had made, took all that, right? He basically, Shishak just came in and looted basically all of Solomon and Israel's treasures, Judah's treasures rather. Right now, after experiencing this judgment, he did humble himself a little bit. Rehoboam did humble himself just a little bit, and he did you know, admit that God was God, right? And because he did that, God said, I'm going to let Jerusalem stay intact, and I'm still going to let you be king, okay, which was more than he deserved, right? Because God could have said, finish him, Shishak, and that army of that size, can you imagine how long it would have taken them to just annihilate everything and kill everybody in that house? Could have been like that. He said, no, if I'm going to spare your lives, I'm going to let you remain king, and God not only spared them from annihilation, he even, he even blessed them for a while. I don't understand that kind of grace. Do you? After everything that he's done, God not only spares them just because he humbles himself for a hot minute, right? Not only spares them, he starts to bless Judah again. And as soon as he starts to bless Judah again, here comes Rehoboam getting in his own way again and being his own worst enemy once again because it didn't take long till his pride flared up see he hated that Shishak took all the gold shields because the gold shields that Solomon made were a symbol of Solomon's power his great wealth his great authority all the kings of all the nations saw all that wealth and thought wow what a mighty king is Solomon and it made him so mad because now people were going to see that he didn't have those golden shields so what's he do he has bronze shields made And notice it said that he left them to the care of the guards. If you study history, what that means is that Rehoboam took those bronze shields into the guards and said, polish them until they shine like gold. Polish them until they shine like gold. Right now, why would he do that? I mean, they're just for protection, right? But here's here's why. Rehoboam was too prideful to appear less wealthy than his father was. He could not be seen as less wealthy and less powerful as Solomon. So he wanted people to still think he had the gold shields. And listen, when you polish bronze enough, it gets real shiny like gold. And from a distance, you'd see those shiny goldish shields, and what would you think? You would think they had shields of gold. He wanted to appear to still be wealthy, to still be successful, and to still be powerful like his father was he was too prideful to admit that god had to take him down a notch so because of his pride he started reverting back to the same spoiled jerk that he was before and here's the last way we'll discuss how to be how to avoid being your own worst enemy never pretend to be someone or something you're not to impress others i don't know why we are so worried about impressing everybody but god We work so hard to make sure people think that we're special, that we're wealthy, that we're smart, that we're good looking, you know, 
That one just comes natural to some of us. Right? I didn't say me, but you know. No, anyway. You know, we try so hard to impress all these people with all these things, when in reality, why? Why do we do that? Right? Don't pretend to be someone or something you're not. Don't do that. Because, listen, has anybody here, let's be honest, let's all be honest, have you ever tried to pretend you were something you were not? Anybody here done that? Be honest. Raise your hand. Come on, the Lord's watching. Anybody? Okay, there we go. There's some honest people around here. Right? There's a name for people who do that. They're called a hypocrite. Boy, I reeled you guys in, didn't I? No, we've all been a hypocrite at one time or another. I'm not saying we remain there, but we've all been there. Right? See, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrites. And what it means is actor. It just means actor. Okay? When we pretend to be something we're not, does that word apply to us? Yes, because we are acting like something we are not. For example... Acting self-righteous. I cannot stand self-righteous people. That's terrible to say. God, forgive me, but I can't stand them. I don't like it. When, you know what I mean? Those people that, that look at you like, poor sinner. You know what I mean? That's unbelievable. You know, one of the things that kept me out of church for a long time when I was growing up was I hated the way church people looked at me when I came in. Half of them looked at me like, well, it's about time. Right? And the other half looked at me like, what the heck are you doing here with your ACDC t-shirt on? You know what I mean? Because I was not dressing up. I'm sorry. Right? And I, I mean, the self-righteousness of people is hypocritical. Being judgmental is hypocritical because I know no one is righteous apart from God. That's why we had to have Jesus. If you could be perfect, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. We would have just crucified you. Right? And, and anytime you're that way, it, it, it's hypocritical. Because here's the thing you have to remember. Here's the thing you have to remember. When you pretend to be righteous, you are pretending to be God. Think about that for a second. So just humble yourselves and realize anything righteous in you is from God. And here's another example of being a hypocrite. That's changing who you are to fit in with the crowd. Right? That is just being your worst enemy. Right? Because, you know, it's funny. When we do it ourselves, it doesn't seem as bad as when we say it about someone else, does it? Because we always have reasons in our mind that we're doing that. Right? But when we act like that, we're acting like Rehoboam. We're just polishing our shields, trying to make someone think we're something that we're not. To believe something about us that's not true. Right? And pride and a desire to impress people more than God is an insult to God. Did you know that? It is. It's an insult to God. Here's the thing. You are too valuable to be somebody else to God. Do you ever think of yourself that way? God created you on purpose for a purpose. But hypocrites will never know that purpose because they're always acting like someone else. They'll never know that purpose. You know, it would be sad to leave this world knowing that we allowed the opinions and the approval of other people to rob us of finding God's purpose in our life. That would be sad. Listen, Rehoboam did do some good things for Judah. A few. In his brief repentance, he did a few good things for Judah. He fortified it, made it a little bit stronger, right? Made some nice brass shield or bronze shield. But because he reverted to his old self, because he was worried about impressing everybody but God, history ignores the good about him. And all that's remembered is he was a spoiled, rotten kid who took the greatest kingdom that ever existed and ran it into the ground because he was his own worst enemy. That's how he'll be remembered. Right? So Rehoboam was continually always his worst enemy because he was never God's friend. 
That's why he was always his worst enemy. So listen, let's learn from our mistakes and avoid leaving this world the same way that he did. The best way to avoid being your own worst enemy is just to be God's best friend. And I'm telling you, if you stay close to God, listen to him, you'll never be your own worst enemy because you'll have the counsel and the guidance of God with you all the time. I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask if you would, please, bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always give an invitation. Uh, not one of the big pressuresome ones, but we like to give an invitation. And the reason is, is we believe the word of God is powerful. And if there's someone here who would like me to pray for you, um, that's what I want this time to be for. So while every head is about, if you're not sure you know where you stand with God, just might make eye contact with me, put your head right back down, bless those people, and I'm, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down after church or email you. I'm just going to pray for you. And if you're listening online or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. But today, believers, I, I really want to pray for us because, listen, there are so many things we could be doing. And uh, uh, in case you haven't noticed, the world's getting crazier. I mean, I don't know what's next every day that's going to make me wonder where the heck I'm living. You know what we need more than anything? We need Christians who are not ashamed of being Christians. We need Christians who are friends of God, not enemies of themselves. We need Christians who are calm in the storms that bring peace to chaos and love to hate. That's what we need. And we're never going to do that until we stop being our worst enemy and start really being a friend of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I say this all the time, but I'm just amazed that you could love me. See, I'm the only one that knows the temptations and the sins in my life other than you. And you knew I would never be perfect. You knew I would always have those temptations, yet you love me anyway. You sent your son to die for me because you have a great desire to be with your people, to be with your creation. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, no doubt they've been told so many different things their whole lives about you and about religion. I just wipe all that from their mind. Let them focus on the fact that you love them enough to give them eternal life knowing they would never deserve it. Simply through them believing in your son Jesus. And if they can believe that what Jesus did was enough, you've promised them eternal life. And if someone makes that decision, I pray they contact us or a, a good friend, Christian friend near them, or a good Christian organization. But God, for those of us who know you, let us make you our priority. Take that worry and the fear and the struggle that's around us and block it out of our minds. Let us just be confident that we're here for a reason. And the closer we stay to you, the more clear that reason will become in our lives. God, we need to be powerful now more than ever. Let us draw on your power and be confident and share your message. We just thank you for all that you do. We ask you to go with us as we leave here. Keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. You're so worthy of at least one more time. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.